Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today as we continue our series titled Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And remember, uh, this series is based off the book written by Andy Stanley. And while we're going over the questions uh, that he gives us as a filter for decision making, remember, I do suggest that you buy this book, maybe pick it up for someone that you're concerned about, maybe someone that you want to make better decisions. And I promise you, Especially if they're family, the $15 you spend on the book will save you a whole lot more money than $15, right? Bad decisions sometimes cost parents a lot more than $15, don't they? Well, maybe just my parents. I don't know about y'all. Y'all got off easy then. Yeah, 15 bucks. that's all it'll take. Remember, the verse for the whole series is this, Proverbs 27, 27, 12 says, Yep, here it is. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Remember, the prudent is wise, so the wise see danger coming. That means they think about it. They ask these questions. They see it coming and change direction. Where the simple, the people who don't know, well, they just keep going and they pay the penalty for it. So, so far we've learned we can ask ourselves a few questions to make Uh, better decisions to sharpen our decision-making skills. We've asked this one, considering we can all talk ourselves in absolutely anything. We ask ourselves the integrity question, am I being honest with myself? Really, right? Because we're the best salespeople we possibly know. And decision number one is I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Considering we can all get emotional about decisions. Anybody ever been emotional about a decision? Anybody ever thought that car you were about to purchase, you had to have, it was the most important thing you could ever, right? Anybody ever done something like that? Just me? No? A a few of us. Okay, you've never got into Jeeps. That's the problem, okay? Get into Jeeps. You'll understand how emotional it is. Right, and because of emotions, immediate gratification, we have to ask the legacy question, right? The legacy question. What story do I want to tell? Because every decision we make is going to be part of a story. And so we have to say, hey, what story do I really want to tell? And I will decide that I'll tell a story I'm proud to tell. I will not decide anything that makes me a liar for life. And some of us have experienced that. and We're dealing with that now. That when we do tell our story, we leave bits out or we're continuing to lie about what really happened. Again, these questions are filters to make better decisions to have fewer regrets. And the next one, well, it's a bit more obvious Um, It's something that we've all experienced, whether you're Christian or not. It's something built in like a warning system. I'll explain with the story. So after I came home for training, um, after I came home for military training, basic training and all that, about a month to two months later, I got a phone call that I was to show up at this base and um, that I wasn't familiar with and I was going to be deployed. I was being attached to a unit that was scheduled to leave in less than 30 days. And it was very weird because they were almost acting like recruiters, and recruiters and regular military are very different. Let me explain. Recruiters are super nice, and they lie. (laughs) 
right? I mean, you're like, man, this, these guys are friendly. This is nice. They told me. I'm not making this up. They said, oh, don't worry. Your, your, your military job, it doesn't deploy. Y'all don't go anywhere. And I said, really? They said, yeah, y'all, are, y'all, y'all don't deploy. They lied. To come to find out, they lied. But these guys were different because after you join, the recruiters are super nice. Then you join, they do not care how you feel anymore. At all. Your feelings don't matter. They care about you then. They still care. They just don't care how you feel. And so when I went to the space, they were super nice and they were talking and they were telling me that I was going to be a gunner on a convoy mission. And I said, okay. I said, well, my, my, my military training, my, my MOS, I'm a chaplain assistant, right? I protect the preacher. That's what my job was. And they said, yeah, but it's the needs of the army. And I knew that. Whatever the army says you do, it doesn't really matter what your job is. I said, okay. So that's what I'm going to go be doing. And they had me sit down and fill out a ton of paperwork. Anybody ever worked for the government, went to the military, you understand that? Just paperwork after paperwork after paperwork. And you can read the paperwork. But let me explain something to you. It really doesn't matter what a private thinks about military documents or forms. It doesn't matter. You have to sign them. There's no, it is what it is. You got to sign them. And I'm used to that, but this was very different. Something something inside of me prompted me to, to slow down and read. And so I did. And lo and behold, after they drowned me in paperwork, the very, very last piece of paper was a waiver of my rights. And I said, what, what is this? He said, well, don't, don't worry about it. Just sign it so you can go with the rest of the unit. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, 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 no. Did, that, didn't, that didn't answer my question. I said, well, what is this? And you have to understand I'm a private. This is a staff sergeant. And it's been beaten inside of me to listen to orders, to listen to orders, to listen to orders. They outrank you. They're your boss. So listen to what they say. He said, don't worry about it. Just sign. I said, no, no, no. I need to know. What is this? He said, well, you have to sign it because you just got back and we, you need to sign the waiver of rights. You know, we want you to be with the unit. We don't want you to miss out on the training. We want you to just go with everybody else. I said, no, no, no slow down. Well, they couldn't deploy me yet because I hadn't been home long enough. They didn't give me long enough time to to leave yet. I mean, they were trying to deploy me really fast. They said, so just sign this so you can go with everybody else. And I said, no. And then the first sergeant came over. And if you don't know what that means, that's your boss's boss's boss. Or I came over and said, well, listen, we need to do this. I said, no. They said, well, you're going to miss out on building the morale, getting to train everybody. I said, that, that's okay because something inside of me was telling me not to sign the paper. They played on my pride. They played on my sense of duty. I mean, all those feelings when your boss comes over and wants you to do something, all those feelings that these people that you admire, these people that you've been told to listen to, and I was just like, no, I'm not signing the paper. And he tried to play on everything. And so I left that day without signing it, knowing that the leadership that I was going to be deployed with was already upset with me. Already thought I was one who wouldn't follow orders. Already thought I was one who wouldn't go with the flow. Which isn't something you want with people you're going to war with. But I did it anyways. I just said something isn't right. A little voice said don't do it. And so come to find out my actual first sergeant found out with the unit. My actual unit he was upset. I guess someone missed out on a promotion or however they were transferring troops. I don't know. And so this whole little thing, it was very awkward, very weird, because I'm a little private. Then all of a sudden, I, I called my chaplain. I told my chaplain, I said, look, here's what's going on. He said, well, here, let me make a phone call. Well, he called the state chaplain, which is a full bird colonel. And the full bird colonel, he didn't know that I was back yet. It turns out they were trying to do some backdoor stuff that wasn't supposed to happen because they needed me. 
You see, because the chaplain, in order for a battalion to deploy, you need a chaplain, okay? One chaplain per battalion. And in order for a chaplain to go, they need me because I protect him. He doesn't, you might want to answer that. He, <laughs> he I protect the chaplain because he's not allowed to carry a weapon. So in order for him to go, I have to go, and they needed someone trained. Make a very long story short, my first sergeant got a call from a full bird colonel whose boss is the two-star general to say, you're not deploying Hoffman. And I'm a private. Full bird colonels don't protect privates. That's unheard of. It didn't make any sense at all. So now my first sergeant's upset. It was this whole big old deal. Because the boss's boss of the boss, boss's boss, 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 <laughs> said, no, you're not doing it. You see, I did deploy a few months later. But I deployed as my actual job, as a chaplain assistant. And it was some of the best ministry I'd ever experienced. Rather than being on patrol with the 50 cal, I got to minister to people in some of the most unique experiences which set me up for the life to come. You see, a few months of that extra time, I got engaged with Jessica. You see, we just met before I got that first phone call. And you see, because of those months, we got to know each other and she just fell for me. I don't know how else to explain it. And so as I look back, as I look back to that internal prompting, that internal inside voice that said no, in light of everything else, in light of the pressure, in light of the leadership, in, in light of all of that I was feeling, all of that tension, instead of ignoring it, I listened to it. And I think, would my career have gone this trajectory if I would have done something different? Would my family have gone the same trajectory? Probably not. Because the truth is, I know and you know, we already know what happens when we don't listen to that little voice inside of here, don't we? We've already experienced what happens when we ignore that thing we call our conscience. When we know what we should do and we choose to do something different, we've paid the penalty for that. I mean, haven't we all set aside the right thing to do? That little voice that prompts us, we set it aside because of things like pride. How many of us, don't raise your hand for this one, how many of us have kept that fight going with our spouse knowing that we need to end it? But we wanted to be right. How, how much good has ever come from that? How many times did a little prompting come up and says, you know, your parents told you not to do that, and you went, ah, they don't know what they're talking about. Just to come to find out later, they did know what they were talking about. Right, today we're talking about that little voice inside, the conscience. And that's our question for the day, the conscience, the conscience question. If you say this word a whole lot of times, you really can't say it anymore. That's what's happening right now, so you know what it is. Is there a tension that needs my attention? Stanley says this. He says, if something bothers you, let it bother you. If something bothers you about him, about her, about that job, about that offer, that invitation, that deal, that contract, face it. Embrace it. Don't excuse it. Because we do that, don't we? He continues. He says, face that tension until it either goes away or you decide to go a different way. Pay attention to the tension. What begins as an uneasy feeling is often supported later with reason, information, and insight. But if you don't pause, you won't see it. You see, 
the conscience is the thing inside of all of us that lets us know when something is wrong or something may be wrong. And I don't know how to explain it. You probably don't either. But luckily for us, we've all experienced it because it's built inside of every one of us. That conscience who likes to talk to us and say, I don't think you should do that. Now, interesting, the Bible doesn't explain how it all works, but it does talk about it far more than I realized. We'll save all that conversation for a different day, but I did want to bring up one thing. Because when we're thinking about our conscience, we have to remember that inside of us, we also have the spirit that lives. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're a born-again Christian, the spirit comes and resides in you. And what's interesting is that the con- our conscience is not the spirit, and the spirit is not the conscience, but they work together. Look what Paul says here in Romans 9.1. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. So we have our conscience, and the Holy Spirit uses our conscience. They, they work together. And However, he's saying, it's saying that when we become Christians, we are born again. When we're made new, evidently our conscience is also renewed and restored, and it works together with the Spirit. Because as we know, like I said, the Spirit lives inside of us. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. And the Spirit who calls out Abba. Father. So we have our conscience living inside of us, letting us know when things are wrong or right, but then we have the spirit that comes and lives inside of us, wants to transform us into becoming more like Christ. Because remember, being a Christian is being a little Christ. We're, we're headed towards becoming like him. And I don't know where the line is between our conscience and the spirit, right? It's one of those things we could talk about in two different categories, We could talk about our conscience over here. We could talk about the spirit over here. But in praxis, when it comes together in real life, they come together and they work together. Kind of like a Reese's peanut butter cup. You could talk about chocolate. You could talk about peanut butter. Two different things. But when you have a Reese's peanut butter cup, you really can't talk about them separate from each other anymore, can you? Because they come together to make something else. And when the spirit lives inside of us, it comes together to make something and do something in us. It's the new person. So the spirit's in there. Our conscience is in there. And last thing about our conscience, I want to remind you about this. We have to pause and remember that our conscience, like everything else, needs shaping. Because all of us have learned to live a life without God. We have to learn to live a life with God. That means through his word, through the church, through his teaching, through friends, through prayer, through spiritual disciplines. Remember, Christians aren't called to go at it alone as if my conscience and my decisions are the final authority on all matters. That's not how life works, is it? Yeah, we need each other. However, we should pause and ask the question when we're making decisions, is there tension that needs my attention? There's a story in the Bible I want us to look at today, and it's about someone's conscience who should have gone and been going absolute crazy. I assume it was, but they chose, he chose, to ignore it. The story's found in 2 Samuel 24. If you have your Bible, you can open it up there, or the verses will be on the screen. It's one of the last stories about King David. He's been raised from being a lowly shepherd in the field to the king of Israel, He's learned to trust in God. He's done some amazing things. He's been a great military leader. He's just done amazing things for the Lord. At this time of his life, he's also done some pretty terrible things, which he's had to work through. 
And so we see both in his life. And this is one of the last things we hear about him. And I want you to realize that King David has experience. King David loves the Lord. And this has to cause us to pause. Because none of us will get it right all the time. None of us will bat a thousand. We have to pause and ask these questions for a reason. Because for whatever reason, David wanted to take a census, and look what it says. 2 Samuel 24, 2 says, So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many are there. I want to take a census, find out how many troops he had, and it sounds so harmless. At this point of his career, he's won so many military battles, great fighting man, great military leader, just seems like the thing to do. Let's number the troops. Let's find out how many we got. Look what his commander says. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? Now, now Joab, he isn't just some guy. He is the commander over the entire army. He's the five-star general, the one who's proven himself to David, one of his top allies, and his top advisors questioning, saying, David, why? Now let's pause. What happens when the closest people you know question what you're doing? What do you do? Do you pause? Do you think about it? In fact, did you know that's one of the secrets to being a great leader is actually pausing and listening to other people? It's not a secret. It's actually written in books all the time. It's listening to counsel. It's listening to other people, allowing your ideas to be shaped by others. You see, all great leaders look for people to push back against their decisions. Here's what I've decided. What do you think? I have friends that I intentionally call just to tell them what I'm thinking, knowing they will argue with me. Y'all have friends like that? They just argue with me. And by the end of it, either I think it's still a good decision or I think they have great insight. Who knows? But when other people speak into our lives, do we seek advice or do we just look for confirmation for what we already want to do? You ever done that? You ever called somebody or talked to somebody about something just because you wanted them to confirm what you were thinking? And then when they didn't confirm what you were thinking, you got mad because you asked them in the first place? And they look at you and say, well, you asked me. Well, they didn't want your advice. They didn't want your thoughts. They just wanted confirmation that what they were doing okay. And here's the idea. Here's, here's what you need to look for. How can you tell the difference between you getting upset at what somebody says or you're just looking for confirmation by? And here's the difference. When you find yourself dismissing the person rather than their thoughts... Meaning, if you tell somebody, here's what I want to do. I want to buy this Lamborghini, okay? If I go up to Bill Graham, one of the tightest men I know, okay? If I go up to Bill Graham and I say, Bill Graham, I want to buy a Lamborghini. And he says, Brian, you should not buy a Lamborghini. And I said, well, Bill don't know what he's talking about. And he gives me a reason. I said, Bill don't know what he's talking about. He's never drove a Lamborghini. If all I'm doing is attacking Bill, then he's to send a flag. Why? Because I'm not dealing with his actual advice. I'm not dealing with what he said. I'm just looking for reasons to dismiss him. But isn't that what we do? We attack the person. They're too young. They're too old. They're inexperienced. They don't know what I know. You ever pay attention to that? We don't attack the advice. We attack the person. 
And when we start attacking the person and not the advice, when we're not really debating with what they're saying, but who they are that needs to raise a flag, send a signal that, hey, perhaps we're off. Because anybody, listen, it doesn't matter how smart or wise you are, two plus two always equals four. And if somebody's telling the truth, they're telling the truth. So deal with the advice, regardless of who they are. And so David, his leader, said, go, go back. His leader said, why do you want to do such a thing? This is the five-star. This is the top guy. It says the king's word, next verse. The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army. I mean, all of them. He just ignored all of them. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Now, to be fair, David's the king, and sometimes leaders have to make bold decisions. He has to make decisions that other people don't agree with. But when everybody you know, all of your top leaders think you're making a bad choice, what's the probability you're making a good choice? Pretty slim, unless you say, thus saith the Lord, I heard it directly from him, right? That's not what's going on. He's just ignoring them. And we know they were great leaders because they were his leaders, and David was a great leader. They knew something perhaps David wasn't aware of. They could see his intentions. They could see his pride coming out. You see, Joab knew that David wasn't taking a census for the right reasons. He was taking it to trust in his army, to trust in his strengths. And what Israel had to learn the whole time is you don't trust in your own might. You don't trust in your own strength. It's not about what you can do, but about what, right, what God can do. And you see, God doesn't want us trusting in ourselves. He never has and he never will. This is important for you numbers people. When you get so caught up with trusting in numbers, who are you relying on? Your numbers or God? Right? Sometimes you got to pause there and think about that. You might have a big bank account, but can he wipe that out? Oh, yeah. Can he multiply it? Absolutely. Right. Because we know that if God is calling us to do something, his math works very different than ours. Do you remember 5,000 people got fed how? You have five loaves of bread and two fish. That math doesn't make sense, does it? But if God's telling you to do it, can he take care of it? Yeah, absolutely. Remember, one plus one plus one, Father, Son, and Spirit equals what? One. Yeah, God's math is very different than ours. Yeah, very different. So sometimes we can over-rely on our bank account and our money or the numbers or the wins or you name it, whatever it is. And that's what David's going on here. He's starting to trust in his own strength, his own might, his own numbers, his own pride. And you see, if they were going to do a census, God had already told them in order to overcome that, that pride and glorifying themselves, he told them here's what they had to do. It's an exodus. It says, when you are to take a sentence of Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. So when you go to do a census, king, you need to collect money from every person. What are the chances of the citizens enjoying that? Right. But if you're going to do it, if it's important, they have to remember why you're doing it. You have to remember that. When you're trying to tell all your citizens they have to pay for this, you need to be sure that this is from the Lord, that this isn't something you're just doing because God doesn't want us trusting in our riches and strength. And if you're paying him for doing this thing, you're realizing, okay, this is about him, not about us. 
and evidently wasn't doing this either. And so David's leaders, they were uneasy. They said, David, why? But they did it anyways because he's the king. And I'm sure David had his justifications like we do. I'm sure he had his strategy. I'm sure he felt there was this burden, there was this thing inside of him that had to be dealt with, this problem that had to be solved. And the only way to solve the problem is by taking this census. Because isn't that what happens? We think by ignoring God, it's going to settle that thing inside of us, that problem we have. We need that answer, that thing that we want. We say, well, if I just do this, it'll make it okay. We're going back to the story. They go off. They do what the king told them to do, and it took them 10 months to count the people. That's 10 months of blatantly ignoring the Lord. That is a calculated decision, isn't it? That's not a quick one. That's a calculated decision. We're going to ignore the God. He could have reversed it and all of that, but he did not. And they came back and they reported to David all of the different fighting men he had. And evidently, it didn't solve his problems. It didn't make him feel better. In fact, like all bad decisions, it made him feel worse. 2 Samuel 24.10, it said David was conscious stricken. You ever felt that way before? Yep. After he'd counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. But isn't this what happens? You think you know better. You think you have it figured out. So you do what you got to do. And then the guilt gets on you. Then the weight of the sin comes on you. And all those justifications, all those excuses, all those times he ignored his commanders. He felt the weight of all of that, including sinning against the Lord. He said, Lord, I can't handle it. I don't want this. And we have to learn something from David's story, something so important, because he, David, was a man after God's own heart. He was a great king of Israel. He already knew the consequences of sin, and as soon as he felt it, he went to whom? Yeah, he went to the Lord. Some of us, were, we're running from the Lord. We have a guilty conscience. We have the things going on, and it's easy to run from the Lord when we feel that way, isn't it? Let's get away from him. Let's run from him. If I stay away from his presence, it'll fix it. That's what Adam and Eve did. They ran from him. But what we find about David is he loved the Lord, and this is how we know he loved the Lord. Although his consequences have, um, his, excuse me, his actions have consequences. We'll see those in a second. But when he felt it, when he really realized this was wrong, he went straight to the Lord and gave it to him. And now he was feeling that. Now this next part's important. He repented, but all actions have consequences. You can be forgiven, but all sin has consequences. And thank God, through Jesus Christ, you will never feel the full weight of your sin. The full weight of your sin is eternity in hell. And I know that's not popular, and we don't like to talk about it, but it's true. That's the full weight. We'll never feel that through our faith in Jesus Christ. He took that away from us. But David was close to God, and I guess because David thought he was really great at making choices, God gave him three choices because of his sin. Look at him. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Glad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. This is far worse, but it's kind of like when your grandma told you to go get a switch. You go pick it out. Yeah, same idea. 
This is where she got it from, by the way. Next verse. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come on you three years of famine on your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide, how should I answer the one who sent me? See, the shorter the length, the worse it was going to be. Sure, David's forgiven, but sin has consequences. And the greater of a leader you are, the more consequences will be at stake. David chose three days. He chose this one. Three days of a plague. 70,000 people died. Talk about a bad decision. 70,000 people. He chose to ignore God's word. He chose to ignore his inner voice. He chose to ignore the advisors, the people that God had put in his life to help him. And young people, just remember, your parents have been put in your life to help you. They may aggravate you. You may not think they know what they're doing, but they know far more than you'll realize you'll learn that later. So listen to them. But the story, this story is so hard to deal with. It's so hard to accept that 70,000 people would die over a bad decision, over a sin, because we want to live in a world where consequences don't, excuse me, actions don't have consequences, don't we? We live in a world that we want to be able to do whatever we want. It's not going to affect other people. Well, that's not true. We want to live in a world where our bad decisions don't affect people. If we make a good business decision, do we want that to affect us? Oh, yeah, we'll take the fruit of that extra money, won't we? Yeah, we like when our good decisions produce good things. We want to live in a world where our bad decisions don't matter, but that's not the world we live in. And we have to understand that our decisions, they have consequences. They affect your family. They affect your kids. They affect others. And the more responsibility you have, the far worse it's going to be on everyone around you. Which is why we got to stop settling for kind of good leaders and start looking for godly leaders. Because it matters. God can either multiply what you have exponentially or he can wipe it all out. Which is why we ask, is there a tension that needs my attention? And the decision we have to make is this. I will pause when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. Because that's another prompt. It's another filter that warns us and lets us know things are off. Things aren't right. So I urge you to allow your conscience to be shaped by God's word. Because we aren't perfect people. We don't get it right all the time. Allow it to be prompted by the spirit. Allow other people to sift uh, your decisions and sift through the things you're thinking about doing. But please, please don't ignore your conscience. Please don't be fooled in asking, well, what harm can it do? Because perhaps far more than you realize. What's at stake? Maybe your career. Maybe your family. See, that's what was at stake. If I would have signed those papers, and I wasn't, quote-unquote, sinning. But I knew it wasn't what I was supposed to do. Do you listen to that voice? Do you make room for that voice? So ask. 
Is there tension that needs my attention? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you so much that your spirit lives inside of us. That we're not alone in our decision-making process. That we know that you want to guide and lead us. Lord, we ask you to help us be sensitive to our conscience. To allow us to listen to that nudge, that feeling, that voice. The thing that when we try to explain to other people, it sounds so crazy, it sounds so ridiculous, but that inner thing inside that we all know, we've all experienced, we've all ignored at some time in our life, Lord, we just pray that that's a loud voice, a booming voice, a voice that we pay attention to. Father, there's so many decisions that will be made today, decisions that we're thinking through, life-altering decisions. Lord, we pray for each and every person here that they seek you in those decisions. That they listen to your promptings, they listen to your word, and they listen to your leading. Father, far more is at stake than we realize in everyday decisions. We just pray that you lead us and guide us. We pray we're sensitive to that leading. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. That through him we can be forgiven of all the guilt and shame that we feel. All the guilt and shame that we experience from those not so great decisions. We just give that to you this morning. We ask that you clear our conscience, you take it away through the blood of Jesus Christ and empower us to be bold and live for you. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.